Bossable Podcast is sponsored by the Reactor Breakpoint Conference. Breakpoint is a conference that explores what lies underneath the hype. You can get your hands dirty in workshops or be inspired by amazing talks. Breakpoint will help you navigate the quickly evolving digital landscape. If you're interested in technology, design, or teamwork, this is the event for you. The event is held on the 24th of May. Speakers include Sergio Benitez, the author of the Rocket Web Framework and the Rust Programming Language. Sergio's work ranges from robots at MIT to algorithms at Google and spacecraft at SpaceX. Shea Douglas is Wall Street Journal's global head of product design. He'll talk about how to ensure that the heritage and integrity of a famous publication stays intact in device-centric times. Jarko Kailanto and Arto Eskelinen from Reactor will run a workshop on creating high-performing teams systematically. I've worked with both of them a lot and they're really good, so you need to check that out. Get your ticket now at reactorbreakpoint.com. That's R-E-A-K-T-O-R, breakpoint, one word, dot com. Use discount code BOSSLEVEL to get 50 euros off. My guest today is Joshua Karievsky. Joshua is the CEO of Industrial Logic, a modern agile consultancy, and Joshua is also the person who started the modern agile community. Joshua has been a prominent figure in the agile community since the early days. His background is in software, but through his experience in agile methods, he has worked on a much broader range than just the software. We walk through some of Joshua's history, then talk about how that came out in the form of the modern Agile community, and then we finish with the topic of curiosity. Curiosity which, according to Joshua, is a superpower. Welcome to another episode of Bossable Podcast. My name is Sami, and I'm interviewing Joshua Karievsky. So you started 22 years ago, so that's actually quite a while, especially when you consider that uh, you've been very active in the Agile community and so on, but the Agile community did not exist 22 years ago. <laughs> no, no, it was uh, just a, a total uh, idea called lightweight software methods back then. We were just yeah. experimenting with ways of not doing waterfall and seeing what we could get away with and what we could do successfully um, without the, the big heavy waterfall process. So. Yeah. So you started a software company. You did not start an agile software company. You specifically worked on software. You might not know this. Industrial Logic's the name. It was inspired by Industrial Light and Magic. In the mid-1990s, um, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, was doing incredible things in movies with, with special effects. And uh, it was just an inspiring company, and I loved the name. So Industrial Logic was inspired after that name. And the concept there was, what are the special effects in software development? 
What are, what are the things ah, that okay. you know metaphorically special effects? What 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 yes. makes software wonderful? What makes us great at it? Let's focus on those things, and that's what Industrial Logic was was birthed in order to do. And we're still doing that, whether we call it agile or lean, or you know modern agile or any any particular name. It's still that same thing. That said, we've gone a little beyond just software because we've seen that hey, HR folks need some help, salespeople need some help, marketing people need some help. This process stuff, once you get into it, if it really helps make things better, it tends to do it not just in software, but in other dimensions. So uh, you started the company, was focused on software development, but it, at some point you realized that there's actually a lot uh, going on in the kind of, well, the process side of it or the other areas linked to the software development. Was this linked to Agile becoming a thing or what's the timeline with that? Yeah, so I mean, what what ends up happening, like we did some work with a company that makes uh, mass spectrometers. Okay. And they noticed that we were really helping their software people get a whole lot better. And they were very happy with what was going on. They said, hey, could you work with the hardware people? Because they do work independently and then they try to like integrate it late in the game. And there's all kinds of integration problems when they're making the mass spectrometers. Maybe this Agile stuff could help. <laughs> and so we end up working with hardware people. And they're like, who the heck are you? Tell me how to do hardware. <laughs> You're a software guy. If you look at Lean, which really came out of Lean Manufacturing in Toyota, that was happening with, with hardware, right? Yeah. I mean, not software at all. So the principles are powerful and they apply to all kinds of things. So yes, we slowly but surely were being pulled into other areas yeah. that, that were these, these same principles could really flourish. Yeah, and I, I think that's a classic case of where like different parts, so the hardware blames the software for all the problems and the software blames the hardware for the problems. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then and then you start looking at HR. Yeah. You know, and HR has got these, you know, really old policies for establishing who's good at their job or, or who should get a, a raise or a bonus that are flying the face of Agile. Uh, actually, let's still into that a little bit more. So what, what are the kinds of patterns that you've been seeing in, in HR? Well, I mean, you know, the story, it's story. So like one client, you know, smallish company, not nothing like the giant companies we work with. It was a relatively small company. They have a 28-page um, performance review per employee. 28 pages. Now, we had really just been working with an, a giant company, Global Presence. They had like a two-page performance review per employee, two pages, not yeah. 28. So, you know, you, you look at that and then the managers are like, oh, I spent all my time trying to fill out these darn, you know, reports, 28 pages per employee. It takes me forever. I can't do all this other stuff that you've told me about that would be valuable yeah. to the company. Can't do it. I don't have any time. And, you know, you start scratching your head going, wow, now is HR willing to like change this? And a lot of times they're not yeah. because they've, poured a lot of time and energy into it. They have years of data collected with those forms and they don't want to change that. Yeah. From an internal perspective, if they're looking at it by themselves, like from their metrics, they're like, we're doing a really good job. We're getting these on time every time. And like, we have a ranking of the people and we can use this to inform the like salary discussions. And this right. is working out really well. <laughs> Only that they're not linked to the actual business and what we should be doing at all. Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So if you look at, like, you you have a lot of experience in this. I mean, you've been in this, like, in, in the Agile community since the very, like, early days of it. And if you try to look at the, like, the big picture, what, what's been, like, what stands out for you and when you try to look at your journey? I don't 
love where the agile industry is today. You know, it, it's for a lot of um, the early, the old timers or people that started this movement. Uh, it's you know, there's a there's a lot of gloss glossy brochures. There's a lot of certifications. There's a lot of stuff that people are you know making money off this. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we make money off of it too. It's that when it becomes a cookie cutter little process, like here, come get your agile. I'll hand, I'll give you agile through my tool or I'll give agile through my certification. It ceases to be a thinking person's process. It's, it ceases to be about thinking and about adapting, which is where it all started. Yeah. Being adaptive requires thinking on your feet and, and making adjustments and all the things we talk about in agile. Uh, I don't see it as much in day-to-day practice in, in the agile people or teams that are that are going through this cookie cutter approach or using the tool. The tool has baked in the process sometimes, or the tool comes with some free t- education. Here, yeah. buy seats in my planning tool, and we'll give you free education in agile, yeah. which of course is usually Scrum. And here now you've got your cookie cutter approach. People hate the process, but they have to do it, and you've now essentially taken what is supposed to be about thinking and adapting and turned it into a kind of drudgery little process that that uh, management adopted and we have to follow. Yeah. And actually, like, I have conflicting thoughts about that because, like, if you look at Scrum, which is a very prescriptive process and tells you exactly what you should do, and, and in many ways you don't really need to think about things to start implementing Scrum, and I think that's one of the success factors of Scrum, that you don't really need to understand anything. You can just start doing it. And what happens is that afterwards, after doing it for a while, you actually start understanding the principles behind it. Mm-hmm. And the other way around, like for people to first understand what's behind it and then start doing it, I don't think like that happens much more seldom mm-hmm. than the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I think that in some respects, the, the fact that Scrum has gotten so popular is because it is so easy to start implementing and then learn afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to say that there's a lot of problems that are being created as a result of this approach of first doing and then understanding. But another view on it is that if that was not the case, we probably wouldn't have this whole agile community thing to begin with because it would never have spread. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, 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 I probably don't agree with you because it's, it's sort of like saying, well, look at the spread of McDonald's. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so successful. It's everywhere. We have McDonald's everywhere. Whatever. How successful. It's awesome. And millions <laughs> and millions serve. Yes. So what? So we're, we're, you know, feeding people junk and we're proud of that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm just sorry, but I, I, you know, when we talk about the success of Scrum, mm-hmm. I, what success of Scrum? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry, but very good question, yeah. I, I, I don't see it as success. So there are lots of people who do. Yep. I don't, I'm not one of them. I'm one, they're like, well, it's the gateway drug. It gets you started <laughs> and then you eventually realize you got to get better. And if we didn't have it, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't be agile today. We'd be waterfall. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't like uh, done any any work in Scrum for like probably eight years or something, uh-huh. and it's not something that I, I usually or start anything with. 
But I, I think like the broader thing is whether like what's the combination of doing versus uh, like working on the thinking. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's the important question, and I think that the that it needs to be a combination because if you just start working on the principles and like kind of trying to change thinking first, it never works. <laughs> yeah, it never works. So you have to also do something because that also informs your thinking. And, yes, and, and it's a loop. Yes, exactly right. Um, I show a video of my youngest daughter learning how to ride her bike through through using the push bike approach. So I have three daughters and the first two of them use training wheels. Now for my third daughter, I noticed the other parents were, were going with this push bike approach. A push bike has no pedals. It's just a very simple ah, bike. Yes. And your kid's legs easily touch the ground, but they can lift them up and then they just push. And they're sort yeah. of learning to balance on the push bike. So for my third daughter, I went to a park right, right up the block from me. It's very got a very gentle slope. And I said, I didn't have a push bike. I didn't want to buy one because we already had a small bike. I lowered the seat really low so her, her legs could easily touch the ground. And then I said to her, Eva, don't pedal. Just just balance. Just keep your legs yeah. out and balance. And she would go down the hill and down the hill balancing to the point where she was bored of doing because she could do it really well. And then she started, okay, pedaling a little bit and a little bit more. So within two trips to the park over a 24-hour period, she was biking beautifully. And this was way faster. I'm talking about accelerated learning, right? This was way faster than my other two daughters where, you know, those times when you take the training wheels off is, is, a, is a time of terror. Yeah. Because now you don't have four wheels, you have two. You haven't been practicing balance and you're just afraid that you're going to fall over and hurt yourself. Whereas Eva learned to balance from the beginning. Yeah. And balance is the essence of biking being balanced on a bike. That's the essence of biking. It's not just pedaling. You could pedal with four wheels. Anyone can do it. It's balance and pedaling. So anyway, I use that as an analogy because people will say, you must begin with this process. Everyone should start with Scrum or everyone should start with the, this uh, extreme programming. And a lot of times I'll just say, yeah, no, those are now considered the training wheels of Agile. They're not the push bike of Agile. Yeah. So... Fairly recently, you started talking about modern Agile. So walk me through it. What is it? Yeah, so I guess you could say that um, it was birthed in uh, Prague um, around 2015, maybe. I was at a conference there and gave a speech. And after the speech, there was an open space where people get to propose topics and talk about them. And everything that I was hearing in the open space was really what I considered to be like old-fashioned, old, antiquated, agile concepts. That's all they were talking about. And so I proposed a session called Modern Agile. And so I held a session, a bunch of people came, and they were very excited to hear about these things like mob programming or like blameless retrospectives or, or you know, lean startup concepts or continuous deployment, things that they just didn't really know much about. And a few more uh, conferences where I exposed the ideas, a blog that I wrote that had a huge, huge following, and realized, oh, there's really something here. Um, and then basically, um, I simplified it down to something which was basically four principles. The four strategies are make people awesome. If you're going to build a service, if you're going to build a product, if you're going to help people in some way, right? focus on making them awesome. It comes from a book by Kathy Sierra, who wrote a book called Badass, Making Users Awesome. 
And she said, if you're building products for users, which a lot of software people are doing, don't try to build the world's greatest team. Don't try to build the world's greatest product. Try to build the world's greatest user. So if you're a user of a Zoom microphone, you're like, you know, I'm really good at making a podcast. The audio on my podcast is fantastic. Well, because Zoom made you so awesome, right? Zoom is making you awesome at, at podcast audio. Um, focus on the user. Make them awesome. Make So make people awesome is going a little further than just the user. Yeah. You know, Modern Agile just says make people awesome. And that yeah. it means a whole ecosystem of people from the end user to the, you know, colleagues that you work with, to your managers, the stakeholders, yep. et cetera. Then the second principle is called make safety a prerequisite. And when I say safety, I don't mean, for example, not taking any risks. That's really fundamentally unsafe. If, if, if you're in a meeting and you say, let's play it safe, let's not change. Yep. That's, that's not, that's faux safety. That's yeah. not real safety. Yeah. In fact, that's, that's a recipe for, you know, death <laughs> because yeah. we know in these days someone's going to disrupt your business. So real safety, I mean, there's, there's different ways to think about it. First of all, there's, is that software going to like, is it going to lose my data? <laughs> like you were talking earlier about losing the entire, you know, one hour podcast that you'd recorded, just gone, vanished. Yeah. Imagine if while you were recording that, it was somehow being saved in the cloud simultaneously, where there's no way you'd lose it. Right. I remember hearing about a, a guy at Google who had been writing a very, very uh, important letter to a girlfriend, and all of a sudden the electricity went out, and he'd been writing it in Gmail. Well, Gmail was saving every keystroke as he was writing it, and he didn't lose a single thought. Safety is fundamental, and it's also um, key in our collaborations. Right, If we collaborate with each other, how can we do so in a way that's safe? How is it okay for me to disagree with my boss? Respectfully, but disagree with my boss? Is it okay for me to uh, question a strategy? Is it okay for me to make a mistake? Yeah. Can I make mistakes safely? So basically this the concept of safety and the and the principle it, it it's related to the thing that you're building, like uh, and it's related to the psychological safety within your organization. That's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Yes. And that's the second principle. The third principle is experiment and learn rapidly. You, you could say, well, you know, Lean Startup preaches this, and I'd, I'd agree with you 100%. Much of what, what the four principles of modern Agile are, are success deconstructed, right? What does success look like, and how do you boil that down to some principles? So experimenting and learning are so important, and we say to try to do them as rapidly as possible. Fourth and final principle is Deliver value continuously. Don't stockpile stuff, right? Let imagine you were to record all these podcast interviews, and then you know six months later you release them. Yeah, yeah. You're, you know, obviously it's it's like Lean would talk about that being as as waste because it's inventory. You want to get this stuff out there as quickly as possible. The faster, the better. That concept is not just a another way of phrasing continuous deployment, the software development process of making a change to software and having it deployed to production. That's a great thing. We love that. But it's also related to how you're working during the day. Mm -hmm. How are you delivering value quickly to your customers, to your colleagues, to your managers, and so on? Even if you are building a software product, the the value is definitely not just the software that you create. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of like different angles when you look at the concept of value. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The services that uh, your people are providing and yes. things. Yes. Yes.
And it's also like even um, in, in consultancy work, you are some way in LinkedIn also creating a safety, like we're a safe environment for for people to talk about the product and the work that you are doing together and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so the, a lot of these principles, they overlap. You can talk yeah. about safe experiments. You can talk about deploying safely to production. Yeah. Um, you can talk about you know ways that you can say, I don't know how to make people awesome. I have no idea. I need to experiment and learn in order to do that. What experiments can I do to find out what people would need to be awesome? And actually, when you look at the principles, uh, none of them actually contain the word software or talk about like That's products right. even. That's <laughs> even. right. And, and when you look at the Agile Manifesto, I think there's only one which says uh, that we value working software. And I think that's the only one that has like software in it. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of bugged me that they like that it has the working software because all of the other principles you could just like easily put in any context, but that's the one that ties them to software. But yes. luckily, this one does not tie it to software. <laughs> yeah, that's intentional because we've been seeing over the many years that it's um, this stuff needs to be applicable to other people in other fields. And uh, those people do get, they, they have a little bit of a hard time with the Manifesto for Agile Software Development. We call yeah. it the Agile Manifesto, but it is officially named the Manifesto for Agile Software yeah, Development. That's true. It yeah. is about software development. Yes. It's written by software development people. It it was never intended to be something for a much broader community. So modern agile is is coming along and saying, "Great, we love the manifesto for agile software development." And how can we modernize the language and the way we communicate with each other and teach these concepts through through language that's more neutral? What do you feel about me saying that? For some of them, there's already science behind them. So yes. I think make safety is a very easy. Like there's a lot of uh, lot of science behind like how psychological safety creates an environment where people learn. And if there's a threat to your safety, your like capabilities for learning go down. And the perfect thing was Google came along and said, "Yep, we've been spending a couple of years researching the highest performing teams at Google." It's called Project Aristotle. A lot of people have talked about it. It's it's well known now. Point is, that's science. They did real science there. Yep. And they determined that number one thing was psychological safety. I would say that um, all four principles have tons of science behind them. No, I, I, yeah. I'm joking. I, I don't know all the science <laughs> behind them all, but you got to think there's science there. No, I mean, it's partly, for, for me, it's observation. It's just like when I look at companies that do awesome things, mm-hmm. where they have passionate customers, they're doing something right. You know, they really are. And a lot of times those companies have just, they set out to do something amazing, whether that's create a whole new marketplace or, or just disrupt an old, an old way of doing things. It's that concept of making people awesome seems to be there. Yeah. And similarly, you know, the story of making safety prerequisite came out of my studying of Alcoa, the aluminum company of America. There's a wonderful story in a book called The Power of Habit which is all about the transformation of Alcoa, which was 100 years old when the transformation began. And you're talking about, oh my God, you're going to transform a 100-year-old company that has all these you know, workers who have like scars from making aluminum and they're proud of them. There's generations of them. They're, you know, their kids work there. The kids' kids work there. How are you going to change that? And sure enough, they did through worker safety through a CEO named Paul O'Neill, valuing worker safety over anything else and finding that to be the doorway to excellence, finding that to be the thing that led all of the workers to make Alcoa safer, which led to, it was a keystone habit. 
So it, safety led to all kinds of incredible other habits, which ultimately led them to be more innovative, so on and so forth, to the point where the Alcoa stock just kept going up and up and up and up. The quality of the products kept going up and the actual injuries kept going down to yep. incredible lows that uh, are way beyond the government standards, way beyond that. But safety was this wonderful ingredient, worker safety, and then making it a prerequisite, saying, Paul O'Neill saying, I will pay for anything that you find that's not safe around here. Don't even ever say, there's no budget for that. We'll do it next year's budget. No, no, no. I'll find the money. If you find something unsafe, make it safer. Looking at the uh, four principles in, in modern Agile, what's your hope on how people would apply these? So mm -hmm. how are you hoping that people would use these? Well, I mean, one thing I'd say is it's it's meant to not be a recipe. It's meant to be, you know, generative, which is a fancy word for basically just uh, people will generate their own uh, ways of applying those principles. So I've started a book of stories could inspire people. You know, if you're looking at companies that made people awesome. Well, great. Let's, let's read a whole bunch of stories about how they did that. What did they do? And maybe one of those stories will inspire them to say, yeah, that kind of fits me too. Let me try that, right? Uh, there was a story that I read in a book once about SAS, SAS Airlines. And they were struggling at a certain point. They were really struggling. They were losing money. And they basically said, we got to do something. So someone had the idea to say, wait a minute, what, what if we become the business travelers airline? We'll just really focus on business travelers We'll make, uh, you know, more legroom. We'll, we'll make really comfortable seats. We'll give them like four, you know, olives in their martinis. Um, it will be the business travelers airline. And then other people in the meeting were like, no, no, no. What? That would be terrible for the, you know, passengers who just go on vacation and they're not business people. And no, it would be terrible. And they're like, well, you gotta, you gotta pick something and stand for something. So they eventually tried it. And it turned the whole company around. I mean, it was just an absolute, wonderful home run of a, of a change. Um, in fact, it was such a great change that they had cheap seats in the back, which they could sell way lower than their competitors because they were making so much money on the business class seats. So now you, if you wanted to go on vacation, you could at a really discounted rate in the back of the plane. So they won there too. This story was in a book on marketing and it was about how important it is to stand for one thing as a company. I read that story. Now, I don't run an airline company. I run, I run a software consultancy. But I read that story in late 1999, 2000. And you know what happened? I just immediately changed my website, which used to say we do X and we do Y and we do Z. Right? We do these different things. No, we do one thing. We do one thing. That's all we do. At the time, it was extreme programming. I said, we do extreme programming. My cash cow which was design patterns, wasn't even mentioned on the homepage. Did we still get work in that? Yes. This is what change could be based on, is stories, true stories, real stories that, that show some kind of incredible thing that happened. So, yeah, so I, I, I would like people to be inspired by stories in order to see what modern agile can be. But it's a generative offering to the world, which means those four principles can be implemented in any old way you want, even if you don't do them very well. It's up to you, right? How you're going to make safety a prerequisite. You might screw up and do something really dumb. I've done that in my own company. 
early implementations of make safety prerequisite were not good at all. But that's okay, as long as you learn from it. Maybe a couple of more thoughts on that. Um, so the good thing about principles is that uh, it's easy to apply it and you can use them to generate stuff. But the uh, the problem is also that it's hard to get started because okay. it's, it's so... Uh, abstract. So any like concrete things that you've seen people do that have been generated from the principles and you've found that have worked in that context? Any one of these practices that we really like these days, like mob programming, we can say, let's, let's retrofit. Let's look at mob programming and say, how does it help us implement modern Agile principles? Or how does it implement Agile principles of like early feedback? rapid feedback, right? Or we would call it experimenting and learning rapidly. So, you know, I don't think you just magically take the four principles of modern Agile and invent mob programming. I think you do need some, you know, inspiration. So it could be Zappos, the story of Zappos, right? You know, selling shoes online. Well, they started out with like a dead, simple, nothing website that was just like photographs of shoes, which they didn't even buy because they went to the local shoe store and said, hey, if you let us take photos of your shoes, if we get any orders online, we'll come and buy them from you. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah. So really dead simple. No inventory, right? Because it's all there at the shoe store. That's their MVP. That's their quick feedback mechanism. Great. Okay, so how do you um, tell people that story and have them realize this is a way to implement something like experiment and learn rapidly? Or it's a way to experience making safety a prerequisite because they didn't burn through millions of dollars of venture capital to create that little website. It was nothing. They were making financial safety a prerequisite. So it's really just an education process that starts to me with stories. And those stories are can often be about things companies did for real, practices they tried, combinations of practices, whatever it is. That's the the starter kit, if you will. And that would be a starter kit of stories probably in a whole variety of domains. Yeah, um, so when is the book coming out? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, something will, will start to emerge here publicly pretty soon. Okay, you're talking today at the Scan Agile conference here in Helsinki, and you're talking about the topic of curiosity. So uh, what are your main themes in the talk? Uh, first of all, I think it's a superpower. I think being curious is critical to three areas of, of our work. Those three areas are the customers, the craft, our, our craft, whatever it is we do, and then there's conflict. So just let's just decompose that real quick. Customers. Gosh, you really need to know your customers. You need to observe them. You need to talk to them. You need to fully understand their problems. You need to understand the marketplace of what they're buying. You really need to you know, understand as much as you can about them. That's something I've learned over the many years, right? So being curious about your customers is a wonderful habit to develop because it's going to help you ultimately produce great services or products. Being curious about your craft. Well, hopefully we're not all um, thinking we're, we're masters of, of, of our craft. We're humble and we continue to learn, continue to find better and better ways of working, that's important for being for being excellent. So that means reading, it means studying, it means going to classes, it means you know observing other companies. There's a lot of companies these days wanting to go on a tour of some of the best companies in the world, right? And just go visit them and see what they're up to. They're curious. So being curious about your craft. Finally, conflict. 
boy, you know, human interactions at work, human interactions are are the root of a lot of problems. People they say they don't, people don't leave they don't leave organizations, they leave their managers. And that's typically when there's no psychological safety present or there's human interaction difficulties, right? The Agile Manifesto says we value individuals and interactions over, you know, processes and tools. Um, yeah, but what kind of interactions, right? It's the nature of those interactions that's so important. So given that there are going to be conflicts, can you approach them with curiosity? Let me learn more. Let me try to understand why this conflict's here. Like, what are you really angry about? Maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe your toddler kept you up all night. Maybe uh, you've had really, you've just lost a ton of money. Maybe you're getting divorced. Maybe your relative is sick. I mean, there's so many areas where what seems like a conflict, if you if you dig a little deeper, can reveal um, the deeper issues there and stuff. So, so I look at all these things, I say, curiosity is a superpower. If we can develop it and cultivate it in ourselves, we can be far better, you know, higher performing. You have reached the end of this episode of Boss Level Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Modern Agile, you can find links to the resources in the show notes. Now is a good time to share this episode with people you think might appreciate it. That's all, folks. Until next time, bye. Bye.